On today's show, we're covering the NLCS and ALCS. We're going to be previewing those series as well as previewing game five of the Yankees and Guardians. The mini episode, all MLB baseball. Make sure to subscribe to the channel. Make sure to share it with your friends. Leave a comment below. And as you listen on audio, make sure to leave a five-star rating and review. And we'll cue the intro. What is up, everyone? Welcome back to the Raw Prospect Podcast. My name is Emmy Nixon. Today is October 18th, 2022. The first day of the NBA season, by the way. And by the way, our NBA NBA Western Conference preview will be coming tonight after those games. But um, stay tuned for that. But, today, but for this, it's baseball. And joining me. For it from Austin, Texas, the Stat King himself, Mr. Michael Lane. What's up? A little chilly this morning in Austin, um, but we have playoff baseball, game five of Yankees Guardians here in about an hour and a half. I'm going to miss the first part of that because I have to go to a doctor's appointment, but I should be back for the important late innings. Uh, it's a very important game five after we were rained out last night for the second time this series, we were rained out. So the winner of this game is going to have to fly to Houston tonight because the ALCS begins in Houston tomorrow night. Uh, we have NBA basketball tonight and the beginning of the NLCS between, uh, two teams that we really didn't expect to be here. Uh, the, San Diego Padres and the Philadelphia Phillies. I believe it's the first NL championship series or maybe just championship series in history, regardless of AL or NL, where two teams make it that both won less than 90 games during the regular season. Um, So pretty crazy stuff, Um, but we're going to jump right in. Let's do a little preview of what we're going to see here in about an hour and a half between Yankees Guardians game five. Um, I guess I can start us off with the extra rest day as we had game four in Cleveland uh, on, I believe it was Sunday night. Um, the Yankees won that game uh, with the extra rest day. It'll be Nestor Cortez going on the mound for the Yankees on three days rest. Uh, and it's going to be Aaron Savali, who's Cleveland's like four starter uh, uh, going for the guardians. Um, Cortez clearly had the better year, a sub three ERA. I think he finished with like a 2.44 ERA, the third lowest in the American league. Savali had a bad first month, but was really good over the second half of the season. Uh, I guess just keys for both sides today. Um, I think Cleveland clearly has the advantage in the back half of their bullpen. Um, The Yankees really don't have a a closer right now. Uh, It's sort of closer by committee. 
and the the Guardians have probably the nastiest closer left in the playoffs in uh, Emmanuel Class A, uh, and they have a nasty back half of their bullpen uh, that the Yankees really haven't managed to hit yet in this series. So I think if you're the Yankees, you want to take the early lead. You want to sort of neutralize Cleveland's advantage, which is the back half of that bullpen. You need early runs in like the first five innings because if you don't score in those first five innings, that's when Cleveland's going to go to the back half of their bullpen, and it's going to be it's going to get really murky uh, if you're down a couple runs or the game is tied and you have to face the back half of their bullpen to try to win the series and win the game. Uh, so that's the key for the Yankees: jump on Aaron Savali, get up by a couple runs early, and then go to your bullpen, which has been pretty good so far. And then for the Guardians, uh, I think it's just the opposite. Just get to stay in the game and get to the back half of your bullpen. Uh, And once you get there, you have a chance because the Yankees haven't seemed to be able to hit it yet. Um, Judge needs to step up this game. He has not been good this series. I don't know what his exact numbers are. He's a couple hits and a home run uh, that he hit back in game three. Uh, but other than that, it's been all strikeouts. Uh, it's not been good. Uh, he needs to step up. So does Giancarlo Stanton. We need the big bats in that in this lineup to step up for this game. Um, so, yeah, that's really what it comes down to, I think. If you're Cleveland, you want to get to the back half of your bullpen either tied or with the lead. Uh, and if you're the Yankees, you gotta, you gotta take the lead early with that high powered offense. Right. Yeah. I, the biggest thing, as you said, will be getting off to a good start. And also just the Yankees, I think need to stray away from, you know, just hitting for power. In my opinion, I think Aaron judges and, you know, Giancarlo Stanton's, you know, um, hunt for home runs kind of takes away from their efficiency. Um, so in a series like this where, you know, runs are at a premium, you just got to get on base. That's that's really the bottom line. Um, and leaving runners in scorers position, it's not it's out of your control. But if you're on base and if somebody else in the lineup can – you know, get a hit, then you then you have a chance to score. So getting strikeouts doesn't do you any good. Uh, so that's the biggest thing for me. Um, it obviously has to come down to the stars, as you said, but I think my point is a little different from yours in that um, I think they have to change their approach a little bit um, to win this game. If you look at what the Guardians have done and how they've won games in this series – it hasn't been, you know, hitting for power or even, well, they have hit for extra bases, but it's been a lot of soft contact, loop hits, bad defense by the Yankees that have allowed or helped the Guardians to manufacture runs. The Yankees have been giving the guard, this Guardians team too many extra outs by making errors defensively, uh, not being sound. Uh not as sound as we thought they were going to be defensively. Um, So you can't do that. 
uh, on really either side. Uh, but especially if you're the Yankees, you don't want to give this young Guardians team hope early by making defensive errors. Uh, and don't give them extra outs because that not only hurts your starting pitcher, but it's going to affect your bullpen too because your bullpen is probably going to have to come in earlier. You're going to have to go to your bullpen earlier, which means you're going to have to your bullpen's going to um, have to throw more pitches. And if you win this game, well, you got two more games coming up in Houston tomorrow night and the next night. So you better buckle down uh, and not make those errors. So you you don't stress your bullpen more than it needs to be stressed. Right. Uh, but that that's really what it comes down to for me. So with that, we can move on. Um, let's go ahead and talk about the NLCS, which starts tonight. Uh, just your keys to the series. Now, these are seven-game series. We just had the five-game DS series. Now we're on to the seven-game series, championship series. Phillies, Padres, your breakdown and your prediction. Who wins and in how many games? Um, I'm picking the Padres to win in six. Um, I think the the star power from both teams in this series, I think, is what's going to decide it. I think the pitching is on the Philly side is a little bit weaker, but ultimately, I don't think that will make as much of a difference because um, these Phillies stars, particularly Bryce Harper and Kyle Schwarber. Um, I believe that's what his name is. Um, they're on fire right now, and I don't think I don't think m- much will stop them at this point. They have enough momentum to where no matter who they're facing, they're just they're just in the zone. Um, so I I feel like the Padres I think are the more complete team, and I think we'll do enough to kind of um, counteract the punches that the Phillies will throw with those star players. This is a real interesting series. This is going to be, I think, a appeasing style of baseball to the casual fans. eye. I think there are going to be a lot of runs scored. Um, I think these games are going to be somewhat high scoring compared to what we've seen so far in October. Um, And I think, there are going to be a lot of close games late, uh, and it's going to come down to the bullpens. And for me, uh, I think I give the edge to what San Diego was able to do at the trade deadline by bringing in Josh Hader, who really struggled in his last days with Milwaukee, sort of midseason after the All-Star break, really struggled. Uh, but once he got traded to the Padres, uh, has been really, really good and has become their full-time closer ever since. And you look back to the series against the Dodgers, they were able to get the lead, and then once Josh Hader came in, Dodgers hitters had really no chance. Um, so I think he closed all three games for them in that series. Uh, so that's the edge I think the Padres have is that their bullpen is a little bit deeper on the back end, and they have that guy that they can go to at any time, not just the ninth inning, to put out 
a fire in an emergency situation with runners on base uh, in a close game. Uh, they have other guys that are capable. Uh, their starting pitching was good uh, against the Dodgers. They've already faced the best of the best lineup. They're not going to be scared, per se, of this Phillies lineup, even though they're hot. Uh, you face the Dodgers. I mean, it doesn't really get any deeper than that. Um, you look at what you Darvish was able to do, uh, keep them in the game, game one. Uh, Blake Snell, who's an experienced guy who came over uh, last year from the Rays. Uh, and then, um, what was his name? Joe Musgrove as well. Uh, I think had one of the best starts so far this postseason when he went seven innings, uh, zero runs in one of those games that the Padres won against the Dodgers. So I like what they have at their starting rotation. They're pitching well. Uh, in this offense, even without Fernando Tatis and without really the hot version of Juan Soto, uh, has really gotten going. You look at Jerickson Profar, who was a guy they acquired at the trade deadline, at leading off on that lineup, getting on base, Manny Machado doing what Manny Machado does, playing gold glove third base and getting important hits at important times. Juan Soto, I mean, you just go down the list. And everybody is contributing. Uh, so I think for the Padres, just have good enough starting pitching, get to the bullpen with a lead. Because if you can do that, this bullpen has been pretty damn good so far in these playoffs. And I think that's where they really have the edge over the Phillies. Uh, for the Phillies, you want to do what you did or what you have been doing since the playoffs began. Going back to that wild card series uh, against the Cardinals, to what you did to the Braves, just a barrage of offense early on. If you look at what they were able to do um, against the Braves, they scored seven runs, nine runs, and eight runs in the three victories that they had against the Braves. And what they were able to do was they were putting together big innings, guys getting on base, extending uh, pitch counts, uh, making pitchers work for it, getting walks, getting base hits, hitting for power. They were doing a little bit of everything, everything that you have to do to win in the postseason. The Phillies were doing it. Um, they had their stars kicking. Bryce Harper with three home runs and three doubles uh, in that series against the Braves. You had Reese Hoskins, who a guy who really struggled – um, you know, the first half of the season had his ups and downs throughout the regular season. He came through with a huge home run. And I don't know if you saw his bat spike afterwards, uh, but it was pretty crazy. He's been good. Uh, you mentioned Kyle Schwarber. Hasn't been as good as he was in the regular season, but he's still Kyle Schwarber. He's still that threat in the middle of that lineup to go ahead and uh, give them that power. Um, there are others too, JT Real Muto, uh, who was an all-star catcher. Um, he's got it too. Uh, Didi Gregorius, the list goes on and on. Their key is offense, score runs and score more runs. I don't feel as confident with their bullpen. Their starting pitching has been all right, good enough with this offense. So you have to be able to do what you did uh, to uh, – 
Atlanta that's jump on their starting pitching and not allow them to get to that deep back into their bullpen. It's pretty self-explanatory uh, if we really want to simplify it down to what it is. For me, bullpen, it always almost comes down to not only your starting pitching and the depth that you have uh, with your starters, but also the trust that you have in your bullpen. And I have more trust in the Padres' bullpen. But I do think the Phillies will be able to get a couple games. Um, so I'm going to go to the same prediction as you. I'm going to say Padres in six, but I won't be surprised if it goes seven. I I think so too. But here's also the thing with the Phillies. It, it feels like this pitching staff hasn't really been tested yet. Um, like if you look at the pitch counts of their two aces, um, it really has not been much. And it looks to me like I think uh, Wheeler and um, who's their other guy? I have it right here. Um, sorry about this, guys. I can't I can't think of the name of their other ace. But those two guys are going to pitch um, for the first six games, which will really bode well for them. Um, but it really comes down to I think the Padres have enough to test this bullpen um, more than the last two teams did. And, th- and that's not to say the Braves didn't have firepower. I mean, they, they were the defending – they're the defending champs. And they added in Ronald Lacuna Jr. from that team last year. They have the firepower. Um, but it seemed to me like um, – obviously, baseball is a physical sport, but – if we're comparing it to football, it just felt like the Braves got hit in the mouth early and they just kind of fell apart from that. It was like once you get in a hole in baseball, it's really hard to come back from. And that just happened over and over and over again to them. And I don't think the Padres will find themselves in those holes, if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes a ton of sense. But doubted the Padres all postseason. Um, and they proved us wrong twice. So we'll have to see. I think it's going to be a fun series either way. Um, But with that, we'll sort of move on. We'll wrap this thing up by talking about uh, the ALCS. Now, Houston is waiting for today's Game 5 winner between the Yankees and Guardians. Uh, I think they have the – clear advantage either team that they face, but they'd obviously probably rather play the Guardians than the threat that the Yankees pose um, with Garrett Cole, Luis Severino, and Nestor Cortez. Um, So just your thoughts first on who you think they're going to play and uh, what the key to the ALCS will be. Um, To me... Um, the the overarching favorite for both these series has to be the Astros, um, especially with what we've seen from the Yankees. I would feel, you know, better about the Yankees' chances if we had seen more from this offense throughout the playoffs. But based on what we have seen, um, the favorite has to be the Astros with, you know, all of their stars clicking into place right now. It just feels like. This team is ready to go back to the World Series. But with all that being said, though, um, I do think 
the Guardians would pose some issues with their ability to, you know, make pitchers work, get deep into the count, um, and be patient as well. Um, because with as with as good as the Astros pitching has been, they really do test the edges of the strike zone. Um, and I think the Guardians will would take advantage of that by being super patient when they do have those misses, per se. Um, and the Yankee side of things, um, they have to hit for power. I think that maybe is a chance that, you know, they were just kind of looking ahead those past few games and they'll show up tonight and then be ready for this series against the Astros, which is the team that they were looking to play all along. But I don't really look at that as the case, especially with how that defense has been as well. As you said, they've been a little bit shaky at times with the errors. So to me, in either of those series, I think the Astros would get it done in five. Wow. Yeah. Um, Look, it's it's tough. I do think the Guardians – um, would be able to match up pitching wise better uh, than the Yankees would against the Astros, um, given that uh, you know Shane Bieber and some of their other guys keep pitching well. Uh, and the bullpen, I think their bullpen is still the best of these three teams uh, and the deepest. I don't think that's the Astros bullpen has been fine, obviously. Uh, but I do think the Guardians probably have the most depth and the best closer of all these teams. Um, so I give the Guardians the edge there. Now, with the way that the the CS is structured, with two games in Houston, then three games on the road, either in New York or uh, – you know, with the Guardians uh, in Cleveland, and then two game, two more games back home if it comes to that. With that 2-3-2 two, two structure, I think it's going to be really hard uh, to get it done in five. I do think the Astros could get it done in probably six. Um, I, I wouldn't – I don't personally put much stock into what we've seen series to series, series to series. Uh, I think it's really hard to – I mean, baseball is a fickle sport. Anything can happen on any given day. And we know that the Yankees would probably get up for that series. And I think there has been uh, some good signs. We've seen the back half of their lineup contribute. We've seen guys like Oswaldo Cabrera, um, Harrison Bader, a guy that they got – play center field at the trade deadline. Uh, Jose Trevino, uh, Josh Donaldson even has had some moments here and there. We've seen them get on base. And if they, I think the key for the Yankees in that series would be just that. Have the bottom of the lineup get on base. Uh, and if they can do that, well, then you're turning over your lineup to, uh, you know, possibly Aaron Judge, uh Anthony Rizzo. And I think one thing you can't forget is if the Yankees advance, they're going to have DJ LeMahieu back. They're going to have Andrew Benintendi back. Uh, They're going to get some guys in their bullpen back as well. 
Um, so it's not going to be the same Yankees lineup that you've seen for this series against the Guardians. Um, so, but that that might just be my uh, Yankees fandom kicking in right there. No, I no, I think I think that's fair. Maybe I would, I kind of jumped the gun there, but um, to be fair, guys, I'm still new to baseball, so I I haven't really like developed my philosophy for picking this series like as a fan yet. Um, and also, I, the most of the playoff baseball I have been watching has been the Astros. So uh, there's also some bias there um, as well. But, but I do to get what clear, you're saying. Huh? To, be, to be clear, and then you can finish what you're saying, mm-hmm. I would heavily favor the Astros in either series, and I think they could get it done in six. Okay. Yeah, I – I also didn't factor in the fact that it's two three two. That does change things as well. I I always think of it as with basketball where it's two two yeah. one one one. Um, but two three two definitely does change things a lot because if one of those teams are able to split on the road in Houston, then you have a really tough road ahead if you're uh Houston. So that really does change things a lot. One thing that's interesting, I think, is you look at the stars of both the Yankees and the Astros. And, you know, Jose Altuve obviously has struggled uh, in the DS, but he's probably just waiting to see those pinstripes come to town uh, before he he decides he wants to hit again. But Jordan Alvarez has been going. Uh, Alex Bregman has been going. Uh, even uh, Yuli Gurriel has had his moments. So you look at Kyle Tucker, um, they're really solid defensively up the middle. Uh, I just look at the Astros team, and I think where the, the real edge comes in, because the Yankees, if they want, we've seen them be able to go offensively. Uh, I don't think right. they're at that much of a disadvantage offensively, except for the fact that Houston's pitching – not only throughout this year, but in years past, has been able to neutralize the Yankees' offense. The way that they pitch to the Yankees is has been effective, about as if, about as effective as you can be pitching to as deep of a, as deep of a lineup as the Yankees are. Um, so I think that's where the Astros really get the advantage. It's not even that the Yankees starting pitching is bad or anything. I think it's really good. I think Cole's shown you what he can do in two starts against the Guardians. He's pitched really well as opposed to how he did last year in Boston in that wild card game. Um, You know, uh, Cortez obviously has proven himself to be a real thing after sort of coming on late last year, having a consistent year this year, over 30-some starts, and then pitching well in game two of – this series against the Guardians. And then Severino, even Severino's ability to battle through some difficulty in that game three against Cleveland, pitch six innings and only give up three runs, keep the Yankees in the game. This pitching staff, I think those three is the best three that we've seen the Yankees have uh, in their little, in the past half decade, if you will. Uh, But I still think the Astros with their ability, especially in a seven-game series, to go Verlander, 
Valdez, McCullers, whoever else, or Keedy. Uh, they have the depth there, and they know how to pitch to the Yankees. Uh, so that's where I really give the Astros the edge. Um, but we'll just have to see. Yeah. And the thing that's been really impressive to me about the Astros is they've been able to win in a multitude of different ways. They've been able to win the defensive battles where, you know, you're pitching to an 18th inning and getting that winning run. And they've also been able to win from behind as well. In uh, I believe it was game one where they really went into a hole early with Verlander pitching. Um, the the Mariners were hitting really well at that point. They were rolling, and then the Astros stormed all the way back and won that game. Uh, so that also, you know, plays a role in um, me being so high on the Astros. I think if you're a baseball fan, you might have been kind of put off by me saying them winning in five, but – that was also another reason why I had said that. Well, it could happen. It's not out of the question. I mean, either one of these teams is going to be coming to Houston tomorrow on very, very short rest, short fumes. Um, so I think you're already having a step up there in terms of you have, you know, three days rest almost since you closed out the Mariners. Um, and – your pitching, I think, matches up with both of these offenses very, very well. Um, and the Yankees don't have a closer right now. Uh, now, one thing you can't rely on if you're the Astros this time around is a role as Chapman coming into the game to blow the game because he's not even on the Yankees roster anymore. Uh, but that was just a joke. Uh, but with the uncertainty in the bullpen, we have like – three guys right now that we really trust in our bullpen. It could be tough. We're going to need length out of Garrett Cole. We're going to need length out of whoever is starting. I think it would be since Cortez is going today, if the Yankees win, that is, I mean, they might not win. It might be the guardians moving on. Uh, but if the Yankees win, I think it would be um, Luis Severino game one tomorrow night. So, but at the same time, Verlander really struggled his first game of these playoffs. So we don't know. We don't know what's going to happen on a day-to-day -day basis. But either way, I favor the Astros in both series because of their ability to match up pitching-wise and their depth. Uh, they don't really have – I mean, you probably more know than I do. They don't really have – I know they have – what's his name as their closer um, – Shoot, I'm forgetting his name. They have somebody back there that they they that they go to to close games, but they don't have anybody like uh, the guy for the Mets, Edwin Diaz, or a guy for the Guardians, Emmanuel Class A, who just comes in, throws 102, and just put puts you away one, two, three, easy ABC, you know. But they yeah. do have every everyone from the top of that bullpen to the bottom of that bullpen is very solid. So I think the depth of their pitching and the way they match up against these two offenses uh, gives them a huge advantage. Um, I'm hoping it. I'm hoping just for the sake of what we've hoped for all season that it is Astros Yankees because I think that'd be kind of cool. Uh, given that in one 
in one league, we get the two favorites in the Astros and the Yankees. And then the other league, we have the on-fire underdogs, like the Cool Story, Padres, and Phillies, I think. Underdog, like David versus Goliath World Series would be pretty cool. Uh, but in the star power, either way, uh, would be awesome, whether that's, you know, Astros, Phillies, Astros, Padres, Yankees, Yankees, Phillies, Yankees, Padres, however it would match up, I think that would be awesome. Uh, but if the Guardians get there, they deserve to be there. They won over 90 games. They won what you can say was a weaker division, but they still won it. Uh, you got to give them credit. And they're pitching – uh, would match up for sure with the Astros. It's just if that offense would be able to manufacture enough runs, uh, like we saw the the Mariners struggle with. They can match up pitching wise. We saw that, uh, but you know that offense just wasn't able to do it when it mattered the most. Right. So that would be my question. Yeah, and I I completely agree with that as well. But. Um, I think that's going to do it, guys. Um, that was episode 129. I don't, actually, I don't know if we'll count this as an episode. It's a it's a mini episode. It's a mini podcast just, you know, previewing these, these MLB games tonight and today. Um, so uh, stay tuned for the NBA episode tonight. Um, it'll, be, it'll come after that Warriors-Lakers game in the late window. Um, so stay tuned for that. Uh, and... Unless you got anything else to say, I'll, I'll let you sign us off. No, we got a big episode coming tonight. Uh, it's a big night in sports, uh, you know, with the NLCS beginning and the NBA. I mean, Sixers, Celtics, I'm super hyped for that game. And, you know, waiting to see what the Lakers and the Warriors looks like. You never know what can happen on opening night, but I'm excited for that game as well. Um so, yeah, it's going to be a great night, and we'll see you after those games to do our Western Conference preview and predictions, and we'll be reacting to those games as well. I think that's something we should do more of this season. Let's do podcasts after, like, a big NBA matchup and actually react to that particular game. That's something we should do more often. Yeah, I uh, agree. But yeah, yeah. And with us going live like this, I think it'll land itself yeah. to that as well. Yeah. But, yeah, I guess until tonight, and be sure to tune in for that live stream. Um, we are, or I guess, just like the Braves' chances of defending the World Series title after being eliminated in four games by the Philadelphia Phillies, we are going, going, gone. Peace. Would get in over potentially a one-loss Bama team or a one-loss even, like, Michigan team, uh, but that's a conversation for another day. Um, I think you know Joel Klatt said it on the Colin Coward uh, the herd this week, and I think on his podcast, Utah is sort of in a way not so great a matchup for USC in that what they do well is they like to run the football. They're a power running football team. And Cam Rising sort of thrives off the running game at the quarterback position, still super talented at the quarterback position. USC is still 
we know what Lincoln Riley ha- and Caleb Williams have done. The additions through the transfer portal of Jordan Addison, we know their offense is really good. We've seen that. Uh, but this rebuild on the defensive side of the football for USC is still going to take a couple more years uh, to get where they really want to be to where they can, I think, actually contend for national championships. Uh, I think they're giving up. I think Joel Klatt said like four and a half yards on the ground still. Uh, So I think the key is being able to do your very best to slow down Utah's running game. Um, And if they can do that, I see no problems for USC here. But since it is on the road uh, and there there is that extra half point, I'm going to take USC to win. But I think Utah gets up for this game. Uh, I like what Kyle Whittingham has done with that program. Uh, I think they're going to play physical, and I want to see how USC responds to it. Um, So I think they do have the edge. I might be wrong. They might end up pulling away and winning this game by more. But I'm going to take the home dog to cover the spread, make it close, give USC a bit of a scare, uh, but I'm going to take USC to win. Yeah, I, I, I'm i kind of on the fence with this game. Um, I think it all is going to depend on, I think, the start for USC. I think if Utah, you know, gets a stop at all in that first quarter and gets, gets into the lead, then they can dictate the pace and get Caleb Williams to stay on the sideline with that running game. And that means trouble for USC. Um, USC isn't, you know, I've given their defense credit on this podcast and, and it's not because they're an elite defense per se. It's because I appreciate what they are and they're a team that if they have the lead, uh, they're a team that if they're playing with the lead, they're going to be aggressive and they're going to make plays. They're a playmaking defense. They're opportunistic defense. If you throw them the ball, they're going to make the play. Every single time. Um, but I think that attacking style might go away if Utah just punches them in the mouth. Um, and that's kind of what I'm afraid of here. Uh, and on top of that, it's on the road. And I think this Utah defense is going to be looking for a, a big bounce back game. I think this Utah team, you know, UCLA – is legit. Let's not let's not act like Utah's lost to two terrible teams. I mean, those are two tough losses. They were competitive in both games. So I'm gonna take Utah to win here. Um, it's risky, and to be honest, I kind of want USC to win because I want there to be, you know, a Pac-12 championship with you know two undefeated teams. And the only way for that to happen is is if USC wins and gets to the UCLA game undefeated. But um, I like Utah here. Um, And Joel Klatt said it best, and and you mentioned it earlier, this matchup is not good for USC. Um, It's going to be all about that first quarter start. If I'm Lincoln Riley, if I win the coin toss, I want the ball first. I want to set the tone. Yeah, I agree with you. I think I could def I definitely see where you're coming from, and I would not be surprised. But 
I just think that Lincoln Riley is going to show why USC brought him there and some of the things that he's going to scheme up. I thought it was super interesting how Joel Klatt has talked about, you know, they run a lot of the same plays just out of a bunch of different formations. So it gives the illusion of they're running a bunch of different intricate, you know, plays and it's super hard to stop. But what they're actually doing is they're running a lot of the same concepts. They're running like six or seven concepts out of a bunch of different formations. And that's what's so hard to stop about this Lincoln Riley offense. And it's sort of the same thing that you see across college football with a lot of these uh, elite offensive coaches. Even Steve Sarkeesian does some of the same stuff. Um, and some other guys as well. Josh Heupel, who we talked about earlier. So, um, yeah, I do think just because of the quarterback edge and that coaching edge uh, that Lincoln Riley has brought to USC, I, I see them winning this game. I think they're good enough to make a play or two defensively. Um, but I just worry a lot about still up front defensively for USC. Uh, and if Utah gets this running game going, we don't know that could spell trouble uh, for USC. So I definitely see where you're coming from, but either way, I think we think it's going to be a relatively close game. Yeah, I agree. I think it'll be close either way. Okay, um, on to the NFL. But before we talk about the NFL, just going to remind you, Hit the like button. Hit the subscribe button. Um, we're we're building towards hopefully a hundred subscribers, then five hundred, then a thousand. We're gonna work our way up, um, and you, we can't do that unless you hit the subscribe button. Leave a comment below. Also, literally leave anything, any questions, comments, concerns. Even if you just want to hate, like y'all suck, say y'all suck in the comments. I don't care. It helps engagement. It helps us grow. Um, and then another thing, check us out on Patreon. Uh, it's pay, it's uh, patreon.com slash raw prospect pod. Um, we do bonus content over there. We do like um, extra podcasts uh, and we just talk sports. We also just talk about anything from time to time. Um, so if you're interested in that, go ahead and check that out. But let's get into this NFL content. Let's not keep y'all waiting. First game, Ravens at Giants. Ravens favored. Minus five and a half on the road in MetLife Stadium. What do you think? Man, there are a lot of these type of matchups this week in the NFL. Before we get to the primetime slate with Bills Chiefs and Cowboys Eagles, where we have a team that surprised through the first couple weeks, or the first five weeks, and then we have a team that we thought going to be contenders that is kind of going on the road. And to play one of these teams that's – really surprised us so far. And that's the, exactly the case in this game. We have Lamar Jackson, who's played like an MVP candidate so far this year, uh, with going on the road to play a Giants team that's played really well. Um, they had a comeback win last week in London, um, you know, against the Packers team that's pretty damn good, I think. And they're playing well. And Saquon Barkley is, is – I think playing his best football of his career um, and what Daniel Jones, I think is able 
to show you so far this season with the coaching job of Brian Dable is that he, I think, is using his legs more in more like in a smart way, if that makes sense. He's using, he's being more aware, I think just game aware in general. And I think it's, I think it's helping uh, the Giants offensively. Now they're going up against the Ravens team uh, that has actually played better on the road than they have at home so far this season. Um, I think the Ravens have the edge at the quarterback position. You look at, uh, sort of the history and the trends uh, that are going in the Ravens' direction. First of all, Lamar Jackson never lost to an NFC team, 12-0 and against NFC teams. Uh, so that's a pretty large sample size since starting over the – since he became the starting quarterback for the Ravens in 2018. Um, now, you think about what the Giants – have had to endure the past couple weeks going to London now coming all the way back. Uh, I know it's a home game. I do think they're going to keep it close. I, the Ravens have been in a lot of close games so far this year that have come down to the wire. Uh, I still have concerns about their secondary, but it's looked better the past couple weeks. Um, I think they will win this game. Uh, but I do think the Giants will cover. There have been a total of seven games in NFL history, though, that in which an NFL team that's played in London has not had a bye following their London game. And those teams actually, surprisingly, have a winning record uh, the next week. They're 4-3 and three following the following week after playing in London when they don't have a bye the next week. So just keep that in mind. I think the Giants will keep it close, but they'll take a close loss to the better quarterback in Lamar Jackson. Yeah, I I think what Brian Dable has done so far this year with the Giants is nothing short of incredible. I mean, it just really shows that if a head coach looks at his talent and just says, what do we have? What can we do and what can't we do? And just leans in into what they do. Just doing that, you can win a lot of football games, but also just be competitive at the very least. Um, you know, even if, you know, say they they lost a few of these close games that they've had throughout this year. Obviously, the record says a lot. Being 4-1 and one says a lot. But also the fact that they've been competitive is more than anyone would have expected for the Giants this year. Not just the fact that they're four and one. Um, this team, it they look completely different. Um, they they past Giants teams would have folded being down seventeen to three against the Aaron Rodgers led team, rolling in the in that first half, and then boom, they flip the switch and just completely came back in that game, stormed back in that game. Um, For this game in particular, though, I think the Giants, I mean, I can't question them at this point. I mean, their roster and talent is, I mean, it's fine. 
I guess, but they're good at what they do. They have they have a good, great game plan every week. They know how to attack teams. Um, and I'm going to pick the Ravens to win, but the Giants to cover here. Um, and I, I feel pretty good about the Giants covering as well. I, I think the Giants have found a formula to be able to move the ball. It kind of reminds me a little bit um, with their reliance on, you know, um, naked boots and getting Daniel Jones outside the pocket and, you know, giving him easy reads and letting him be mobile. It kind of reminds me of kind of the game plan Matt Nagy had his first year with Mitch Trubisky. And with kind of reminds me of that a little bit. Um, but, yeah, this, this Giants team, I think they're going to be – in a lot of close games. I think that's who they are at this point. Yeah, I think we we agree, but for different reasons. Uh, I think the Ravens will win, but I think it's smart from a betting perspective to pick the home underdog to cover this cover this spread. Uh, and especially with a team like the Giants, who great coach, um, you know, they've hit on some of their draft picks. Kayvon Thibodeau has made an impact defensively. Uh, defense is playing well. They're they're going to be in this game. They've shown the ability to come back, win in multiple ways, which is something that we talk about. Uh, so I do think they're going to keep this rolling. Even if they don't get the win here, it's okay. Uh, they put themselves in a really good position uh, going forward. Uh, what's our next game? All right. Um, let's move on. Yeah. Um, next game, Bengals at Saints. Bengals favored minus two and a half on the road in New Orleans in the Superdome. What do you think? Um, Bengals off a tough loss. Uh, last week um, in Baltimore at two and three right now, a team that we thought that I thought was going to get off to actually a faster start than they have. Um, Their offense hasn't looked all that great at times. Their offensive line has struggled at times. And that's really where I worry uh, in this game going up against the Saints defense that despite some of their offensive struggles has played you know, pretty good football, pretty solid football, and it's on the road going against a tough defense. Um, really, to me, if the if the Saints' front can get to Joe Burrow, which we've seen some defenses have success of over the past couple of weeks, this could be a this could be a you know a trouble spot for Cincinnati. But I think Cincinnati, with the weapons that they have, and Joe Burrow at the quarterback position, uh, will find a way to win this game. Whether that's by a field goal, a touchdown, it's just a feeling that I have. Sometimes you just have to go based off feeling, and I think the Bengals will find a way to win. Uh, But it is going to be interesting. I mean, falling to two and four in this AFC uh, you look at the landscape right now, it's not going to be great. Uh, so it is a bigger game than I think a lot of people are giving it credit for from a Cincinnati perspective. 
Yeah. Um, this is must win for the Bengals. No question about it. In that division, in this in this AFC, in that you know landscape of the AFC, we knew this coming into the year. You got to win the games you're supposed to win, and this is one. Well, you look at the schedule before the season. You you made me think. Oh, they're this is kind of a tough game, but no, this is a must win. This is absolutely a must win. Um, but here's the thing. I'm really low on Zach Taylor right now. I think I'm I'm close to being out on Zach Taylor. I know that's that sounds wild. Um considering this team just made it to a Super Bowl. They just took down Kansas City on the road, uh, something that no other team has done ever. Um and I'm still you know being pessimistic about Zach Taylor, but the writing's at the the writing's on the wall at this point. This all like this offense, um, the blueprint to stop them is out there. You go t- you go cover two, deep like safety's deep. Don't let anything pass you. Double team Jamar Chase. That's it. Um, if you force them to work down the field methodically, they will make mistakes. It's inevitable. Um, whether it be a sack, whether it be a penalty, they will make mistakes. Um, and I think the teams that have gone with that two safety deep look against the Bengals, Joe Burrow has shown to be a little bit impatient. He's kind of reverted back to um, a little bit to what it was in his rookie year where um, he's forcing the ball into – tight windows when he shouldn't be. Um, And I don't know, man. I'm going to pick – this is really tough, but I'm going to pick the Saints to to win the upset. Win outright at home. Um, You know, the fact that Marshawn Lattimore is out, I just saw that. Uh, before the podcast started. That's not great, but the fact is the blueprint is out there. And unless I see any type of, you know, adjustments from Zach Taylor, I'm I'm just not buying it. Fair enough. Uh, I like to err on the side of who I think is a better quarterback if I have any uncertainty whatsoever. Um, But we will have to see. Um, And I have no problem with the Bengals losing. No problem at all. Uh, but with that, we'll move on to our next game before we get to the two bigger games. This is a game that you wanted to talk about, so I'm going to let you start with this one. Um, and I think it's an interesting game as well. Uh, but you brought it up when we were talking about which games we wanted to talk about. And you wanted to talk about Zach Wilson in particular. So it's Jets at Packers. The Jets are 3-2 and two with two straight victories. Big wins right now for uh, Robert Sala um, in New York. Uh, But this line does not make any sense whatsoever to me. I don't know about you. Packers minus seven and a half. What are your thoughts? Well, I I think I'll start with this. Um, It's not exactly connected to the game, but I just want to put it out there. The Jets are – 
what the blueprint should be for a rebuild. Um, and it's just, it's one word. It's patience. That's it. Like Joe Douglas has been building this thing over and over and over three years straight, three great drafts, three pretty good showings in pre in free agency as well. And it took three years. It took, you know, two years under this new head coach, I believe. And it's finally, it's finally starting to click. Um, and I know, you know, it's tough to, you know, let guys go through growing pains in the NFL. It's kind of painful. But I think the Jets are here at this point. I don't think – I'm not saying they're a guaranteed playoff team in this AFC or anything. That's not the case at all. All I'm saying is they're here and they're competitive, and that's a lot better than what we could ever say about the Jets before. Now, for this game – I think Zach Wilson is being overly hated a little bit. Um, he's a young player. He makes mistakes, but he also makes a lot of high-level throws that you know only a handful of quarterbacks in this league can make. Uh, and he's been a lot better in structure this year. That's another big key. Um, that was the big question going into this year is, can Zach Wilson make the layups? Can he run the offense in its structure? We know the like the off platform craziness out of the pocket is going to be there for Zach Wilson. That's what he does. But can he just run the offense when he needs to? And the answer has been yes. Um, now I think I'm going to pick the this as my lock of the week. I'm going to pick take the Packers to win and the Jets to cover, but only because that's the safe pick. But if I was feeling risky, I would probably pick the Jets to win. Um, this Packers team, they're, they're in an identity crisis. For one, I think Joe Barry should have been left in London. I've, I've said this before on this podcast. I just don't think – I don't think this style of defense works for this team. And I don't think this style of defense has been working at all throughout the NFL. If you look at all the teams that run a two-deep cover-four system, Broncos, Chargers, Packers, you know, um, who else? Who else? Those, those, are, those are three notable ones. Um, and what do they all three have in common? They're getting picked apart. Um, laying back and playing this cover-four coverage, it's not – it's not working as well as it was a few years ago. Teams have figured it out. Uh, and if the Packers don't figure out that they have the corners to play man and blitz from time to time, then they're just going to continue to be, you know, a, a 16th ranked defense rather than a top eight ranked, top five ranked defense. They have the talent to do, to be a top five ranked defense. And the fact that, you know, their defense has been this average is infuriating. Yeah, it's it's weird. Um, this is a Packers team I had some questions about before the season, uh, but mainly from an offensive weaponry perspective and what this receiving course was going to look like. Now, 
when you think of the Packers, Matt LaFleur, since he's been with the Packers, they're 26-3 and at Lambeau Field since Matt LaFleur took over as head coach. In those games, Rodgers has thrown for almost 8,000 yards, 65 touchdowns, and six interceptions. He's been absolutely fantastic at Lambeau. Uh, and coming off a loss, Packers are actually 6-0 and against the spread at home following a loss under Matt LaFleur. So there are some trends here that say Packers are a safe bet both to win the game and to maybe cover the spread. For me, though, I look at this Packers offense and I think, why, like, where is Aaron Jones? Where are these running, why aren't they using the run game more? This was supposed to be one of the better one-two punches in the NFL at the running back position. And to me, it feels like they've gone away from the running game way too much. Uh, and that's sort of hurt them in a way. Um, you know, Aaron Jones, I think, had a quote earlier this week um, about this. Uh, I have to find it. And if I find it, then I will say it. But, yeah, I think they're in sort of an identity crisis offensively. I think they need to run the football more. Uh, and if you look at what they struggled with last week, Aaron Rodgers was 0 for 6 in his attempts that traveled more than 20 yards downfield, 20 or more yards downfield. They're, they're not largely successful throwing the football downfield. You look at what the Jets have. Uh, they've hit on a lot of their draft picks. Brees Hall had a really great game last week, 197 yards from scrimmage. Uh, Zach Wilson, as you said, is getting some un fair hate or criticism, I think, as he's played, you know, decent enough football the past couple of weeks. And Sauce Gardner, I think, is – I like this Jets – I like the way the Jets' secondary matches up against the the Packers' uh, offense and these receivers. So I do think, given what we've seen so far – Unless the Packers show me something different offensively and their commitment to running the football and their ability to throw the football downfield, which not a whole lot of teams have been able to do against this Jets defense so far, I think the Jets are a safe bet to cover this spread. I don't think the Packers are explosive enough offensively to be able to get those cheap touchdowns and to win this game by more than seven and a half points. So I am going to take the Jets to cover and I'm thinking about taking the Jets to win, but I'm not going to do it just because it's the safe bet to pick Aaron Rodgers at home. Yeah. I, I'm thinking about changing this pick too, but I'm just going to stick with it because the Packers have to win this game. Um, yeah. it, they can't afford to lose this game because the Vikings, they have to keep track with the Vikings, and they already lost once to the Vikings. So right. I think they understand that and know that, and I think they'll do enough to win the game. But I don't think this team is running away from anybody, and no. and I mean anybody in the league. That means the Texans, Broncos, whatever the case may be. They're not running away from any team. Right. Yeah, exactly. Okay. 
Now we get to the fun part. Um, a rematch as advertised in the title of this live stream. Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes, a rematch of possibly the greatest football game we've ever seen uh, in last year's playoffs, or at least the most entertaining game we've ever seen. Um, Bills minus two and a half. Uh, so I'm going to let you start. What do you think? Man, um, I'm so excited for this game. I just want to say that first and foremost. Um, but if I got to pick a team, I think, I think I'm going to stick with the bills. Um, I, I just, this team is different from years past in one key thing, pass rush, pass rush, pass rush, pass rush. Um, we saw this last year in the, in the playoff game. Mahomes had all day to throw in the pocket all game long. And obviously Mahomes is going to get outside the pocket. That's, that's what he does. He makes plays, but getting him uncomfortable when they're, you know, when the chiefs are playing in structure and, um, Obviously, the Chiefs aren't going to be, you know, throwing the ball 50 downfield to Tyreek Hill anymore. That's that's not going to be the case. They don't have Tyreek Hill anymore. Um, so making Mahomes uncomfortable in that quick passing game to the Kelseys of the world, Juju Smith-Schuster, they've been extremely efficient with that this year. And if Von Miller can get home, Ed Oliver, Gregory Rousseau, I think I think they will get home. I think Orlando Brown is set for a rough day. Um, here's the thing with Orlando Brown. Um, he's an okay left tackle, but let's just say there's a reason the Chiefs haven't paid him yet. Um, he's a guy who is huge, but he's also not quick enough to deal with a speed rush. And guess who's arguably one like arguably the best speed rusher ever von miller on the other side uh that spells trouble for the chiefs i'm picking the bills to win i'm picking the bills to cover um and and it's not that i don't think it'll be close i think it's just going to be i think it's going to be a field goal i i just don't think it'll be a one or two point game i i think that's fair to say so that's really the only reason I'm picking the Bills to cover. I still think it's going to be close. I still think it's going to be probably one of the best games of the year, if not the best game of the year. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, Bills, I've said it. I think they're the best team in the league uh, when they're at full strength given what they have and some of the injuries they had to occur still with an injury or two they've had occur to them. When they, when they play their A game, I think they're the best team in the NFL. Um, you know, nine, a plus 91 point differential in, in five games, four and one, a game that they could have won against Miami, uh, where I think just some exit existence, existential factors I can't talk uh you know might have played into Miami's hands at that point uh 
this is going to be probably the best game we see all year in terms of quarterback play at the very least. Um, I think these guys are on another level right now. What Andy Reid has been doing with this offense, I mean, it's a it, – you see new things every week, it seems like, with what they're scheming up and this and that. But you mentioned it. Not only are the Bills getting pressure, and this pass rush is different than years past. That's clear to see. If you can't see that, I mean, I don't know what you're watching. But they're getting pressure without blitzing. They're actually – um, according to the ringer, at least, uh, blitzing at the lowest rate in the National Football League. And they're still getting home uh, and being an effective pass rush. And what has generally given Mahomes the most trouble in his career? When you're able to produce pressure with just four and disguise coverages in the back end or drop back in the back end with seven uh, to, you know, play this Chiefs offense pretty much straight up. Uh, If they can get pressure, drop seven into coverage, even though that's easier said than done, and the Chiefs are, you know, been really good. They're averaging, I think, they're first in the NFL and – uh, EPA per drive, expected points added per drive. They're 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 playing really well. I think this Bills defense. Um, now I don't know what the status of some of their guys in their secondary are right now. I know they've been without Tre'Davious White for an extended period of time, uh, and you know Micah Hyde is out for the season. Uh, Jordan Poyer is a guy who's been playing pretty well for them. Uh, and Kyer Elam has really gotten tested the past couple of weeks. Uh, so he's an interesting uh, guy to watch. But I just think Buffalo, with the, what they're able to do, the explosiveness in the pass game, the ability to just strike at any time, uh, the cheap plays offensively. My only question of Buffalo is their commitment to the run game. That's like the only thing I think you can question about this Buffalo football team, if they're going to be able to run the ball effectively. And sometimes this offensive line struggles. And I do worry a little bit about that against a defensive line that has Chris Jones. But I just think the Bills with Stephon Diggs and Gabriel Davis and all the weapons that they have, I think it's a different Bills team. I think they're the best team in the NFL. I'm going to take them to win and cover. Okay. Yeah. But um, before we move on, I just want to say one thing. Um, I think the key to victory for the Chiefs side of things is I think they got to get their run game involved. Um, if you keep this Bills defense honest, um, that's going to really help your offensive line, not only. Um, because they're able to, you know, get out and, you know, block and move forward rather than kick stepping back the whole game. Um, But also it keeps the Bills defensive line honest and that will kind of neutralize some of the things that the Bills want to do as a pass rush as well. Um, And, you know, we, we know Mahomes likes getting the ball out quick, particularly to, you know, Travis Kelsey 
and everything like that. And that kind of works like a de facto run game in a way. But I really do think um, <coughs> if the Chiefs want to win this game, they got to run the football and keep Josh Allen off the field. Yeah. Okay. We will move to our last game of the week. Um, and it's your team, Dallas Cowboys. A big NFC East showdown. They're starting to call it the NFC Beast with the uh, the Eagles, um, the Cowboys, and the Giants all off to really hot starts. It's gone from the NFC Least to the NFC Beast all of a sudden. Uh, but you have the Eagles and the Cowboys. Huge game in the NFC East. You have to start with this yeah, one. If you told me, I don't know, two – two or three years ago that a division quarterbacked by Cooper Rush, Jalen Hurts, <laughs> Daniel Jones, and Carson Wentz would be one of the best divisions in football. I would be like, uh, what? Yeah. Uh, but here we are. Here we are. Um, anyways, about this game, I'm, I'm super excited for this game as a Cowboys fan because we really get to see – what this defense will be able to do against an elite offensive line. We haven't seen this yet this year. Um, if you look at who the Cowboys have played, uh, the only, I guess, okay-ish offensive line we've played was the Bucks, And that was week one, um, and that got hurt, and that game didn't really go as planned. And the defense didn't play bad that game either. Um, so I'm really interested to see what this Cowboys defense can do. I think I think the Cowboys defense is kind of entering 2015 Broncos, you know, 2017 Jaguars territory of defense, which is like, you know, no matter what team you're playing, the defense is always going to make a play to keep the team in the to keep the keep the team in games and almost uh win the game on their own despite what the offense does. The, the Cowboys are kind of entering that territory if they do it again this week. Um, but that's yet to be seen. On the Eagles side of things, I've seen a lot of talk on Twitter about, oh, the Eagles are frauds. Um, they haven't beaten anybody yet. That's a bunch of baloney. Um, I, I don't understand that at all. Um, they've beaten the teams in front of them. But they've also clobbered the teams in front of them. Like, are you kidding me? Um, this team does so many things on an elite level. Not only do they have great weapons offensively, they have an elite offensive line. Um, you know, the the question going in, into the year was quarterback. And Jalen Hurts has answered every question over and over and over again. He hasn't been perfect, sure. But he's gotten the job done. Um, the one question I have with that Eagles offense is um, they haven't gotten into a situation where the defense forces them to pass more than they want to. They've always been able to dictate, you know, they've always had a counter to what the defense does. Like, oh, you're going to rush Jalen Hurts? We've got a pitch over here to Miles Sanders. Stuff like that. They always have a counter. But if – 
you know, if the Cowboys take away their right hand, which is running the football, um, and you know, force the Eagles to into third and long situations, that could spell trouble. Um, that's my only question about that offense. And then defensively, you can make the argument they're even better defensively than they are offensively. I think this defense is incredibly underrated. Their pass rush is great, um, and their secondary is arguably one of the best in football. Darius Slay and James Bradbury, I think, is the best corner duo in the NFL right now. Um, and I don't, like, like at this very moment, I don't think it's close. There's not a team performing at this high a level as the Eagles duo. Um, as for making a pick for this game, though, um, I'm going to pick the Cowboys to win. Uh, it's call me a homer if you want to. All right, I I get it. I'm a Cowboys fan. Yada yada yada. Um, but I believe in this defense, and and that's really all there is to it. I think this defense has shown, and I ultimately do think that what I mentioned at the beginning of this this podcast will come into fruition, where this defense is. 2015 Broncos, 2017 Jaguars level, where they just make a play every single week. Um, this defense, if I were to describe them, they they may not be you know the most you know complete defense every in every position group in the league. But one thing I will say is they are they are the most. Um, fear-mongering defense in the NFL, if that makes sense. Um, they they have two of the best playmakers in football on the defensive side of the ball in Michael Parsons and Trayvon Diggs, two guys that will just wreck a game, cause chaos, um, more so with Micah. But Trayvon does his thing too with the interceptions and causing turnovers. You know, I'm – I'm biting the cheese, okay? I picked this team to go 8-9, and nine, but I've bought in. Like, I'm in full I'm in full arrogant Cowboys fan mode. I might be humbled this week, but I'm rolling with my Cowboys. Well, that's totally fair. It's sort of funny. We both picked our teams to go like 8-9, and nine, and they're going in two opposite directions right now. Um, but – that is what it is at this point. I'm not going to go on my Steelers tangent, but we'll save that for another day. Uh, well, I think it's going to be so hard for me to make a pick. Um, but, yes, it is sort of a physics situation here where we have – and I'm not a physics expert, per se, by any means. But we have an unstoppable force in this Eagles offense that's – been really good so far. You pointed out basically everything you need to know. Uh, Jalen Hurts playing at a high level. Uh, the addition of A.J. Brown with Devontae Smith and all the other receivers that they have and weapons, really, really good. One of the better lines in the league. Their defense is playing well. A well-rounded football team. Like, you can't be 5-0 and and not be playing complimentary football. Um you know, averaging 27 points per game. Uh, but on the other side, 
you have a Cowboys team that, as you said, they're the immovable object as of right now. Um, you have a Cowboys team that's yet to allow a team reach 20 points, which is unheard of in my opinion. Um, you know, they're they're surrendering just 14.4 points per game, ranks third in the league, which is surprising that it only ranks third in the league. I don't know who's better right now, but uh, they are, I think you put it perfectly, a, they put fear into the other team, what they're able to do with the pass rush. And it's not just like Micah Parsons. It's not just Demarcus Lawrence. It's the others, too, that are getting in on the party. Uh, Dan Quinn done a great job. I even think we got to give a lot of credit to Mike.